Word. We're in 1 John this morning. Um, so I'm going to ask uh, Chelsea to read 1 John uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, but God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's great to see each of you here. My name is Crawford Stevener. I am not the regular preacher here at Grace Prez. I'm the RUF campus minister at Stanford. So if you don't know what RUF is, it stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And it'll be one of the groups represented at the Connect table if you're interested in praying for our ministry. You can send me an email or if you're a student here and would like to come check out what we're doing on campus, we meet at Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock and would love to have you there. Uh, When you go around the room at a a Stanford small group Bible study, uh, sometimes it's interesting to hear from the students their perspective on on big, important life questions. You can get a surprising number of answers. One of the questions I was asking recently uh, was, what is God like? What do you think God is like? Now, uh, if we did that around this room, we'd get a a huge variety of answers. And I I love that about uh, this church and this community. There'd be some people that could spout off a number of textbook definitions about who God is and what are his characteristics and can explain to you the difference between omnipotence and omniscience and all these uh, fancy theological words. And others would be like, I I, I think that there's some sort of vague something out there. There's something bigger than ourselves, but I'm not exactly sure uh, who God is or what he's like. And that's a beautiful thing. This morning, uh, we are discovering what God is like, according to the Apostle John, uh, really in the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. So some things about God uh, are out there that are true, like he is, he is our creator. He is powerful. He's eternal. He's unchanging. But the story of the Christian gospel really starts to dial in when you understand that God's relationship to you is changed in the story of Jesus Christ, and that God becomes your heavenly Father. This is what the Apostle John, in this letter that we just read from, is emphasizing. He's talking about, what does it mean to have God as your Father? 
In other words, what does it mean to be a child of God? Uh, with, with age, kind of like a fine wine, different notes of the gospel story come out to the foreground and other ones go to the background. The Apostle John is writing as an old man, likely in his 80s. He's reflected on a lifetime of following Jesus and is writing to a beleaguered church. And he's painting in broad brushstrokes this morning and telling us, what does it look like to live as God's child? And there's three points I want us to investigate uh, this morning together. The first is the identity of a child of God. The second is the life of a child of God. And the third is the security of a child of God. And we'll spend most of our time on the second point. That's the point that John writes most thoroughly about in the letter. So first, the identity of a child of God. Who, who is a child of God? Chapter 3, verse 1, in your text there, speaks of this ineffable privilege that we would be called children of God. And while it's a common practice to refer to all people, to all humanity as God's children, this is actually not the teaching of the Bible. If you look in the letter here in verse 10, uh, John contrasts children of God with the children of the devil. Now, this is a a very blunt way of speaking, in case you didn't catch that. Uh, His point is that through the love of God, those who are outside of God's family, outside of the good graces of God, are brought into his family and adopted as children of the Most High God. To be born of God is spoken of by John ten times in this short letter. And he doesn't really talk about how to do that or how to be born of God as much as he describes what it looks like after you become God's child. So in order for us to better understand what John meant by this phrase, it can be helpful to look at what he wrote about it in the Gospel of John. This is what he wrote from the Gospel of John, another book that John wrote, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Let me me read it to you. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So, for the Apostle John, a child of God is not anyone. A child of God is someone who believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and receives eternal life with God as their heavenly father. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian and you're thinking right now, so if I don't buy all this Jesus stuff, is this pastor guy or this apostle person calling me a child of the devil? Well, here's my dilemma. The apostle John, as I mentioned, often speaks in black and white terms, right? Whereas other writers of the Bible might color it with a little more nuance in their discourse, John talks of God versus the devil. He talks about light Versus darkness. He talks about righteousness versus sinning, and he speaks rather bluntly. And uh, I love the diversity of literature we have in the Bible. And sometimes in our age, where we where we fear offending people more than truth telling, this is exactly the sort of letter and way of speaking that we need to be addressed this morning. So I don't want to make dull a sharp surgical instrument that cuts. In order to bring healing and life. Because God might be speaking to you this morning. In a moment of great conviction. Through John's words. And you're realizing. I I actually don't know God as my father. Because 
I don't know Jesus, his son. And if that's what it takes, then I need to explore that a little more. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here this morning. The, the worst thing I could do was, would be to help you mistakenly identify yourself as a child of God. I also want you to consider that John speaks in these sharp and binary notes of darkness and evil and devil in his letters that no doubt have this kind of ring of exclusivity to you. But John is laying it out in the context of the love of God the Father. That despite our otherness or our sin, or as he describes it, lawlessness, the God of the Bible is actually inviting you into a restored relationship with him as his son or daughter. So God is in the, in the business of bringing in. He's not stiff-arming you and saying you're out, right? So what sounds like exclusion and when you're trying to figure out who is a child of God is actually more like clarification. He's prompting you to ask the question, who are you? To whom do you belong? What is your real identity? And if you hear the Father's voice, you are welcome to come in. And this is really one of the great privileges of owning the status of the child of God. That no matter what is happening in your life, whether, um, whether you're having a good day or a bad day, a good week or a bad week, you are always at home when in the presence of God your Father. Whether your earthly home is a painful memory or a joyful reality, you have a place and a belonging in God's house through Jesus. Now, so many of you know this already, but if the New Testament, if our scriptures are clear about anything, it's this. Jesus changes everything. And so as you are brought into the family of God, this leads to a changed life. And this is exactly what John spends the majority of his text discussing in verses 4 through 10. He moves from the identity of a child of God to the life of a child of God. So let's look at that second point a bit more um, at length. The life of a child of God. My, my pastor friend uh, called me this week uh, on Wednesday, and he was just leaving the adoption courthouse of a church, uh, of, of a, from a family in his church that just had an adoption celebration uh, for their new child on the East Coast. The, uh, the child had been in foster care for four years. And this was the day that the paperwork had finally cleared, and legally, this child was now part of a new family. So while that child was in the proximity of a family in foster care, was being stewarded over by a responsible adult, a new reality fundamentally occurred last Wednesday in that child's life. They have a new mother. They have a new father. Everything has just changed. Now, as you know, some of these adoption stories and situations, maybe it's personal for you, maybe you've read about this, um, can come with some significant growing pains. This new child has to learn their new environment and the new rhythms of a new family. What does mealtime look like? What does bedtime look like? What are, the, what are the boundaries and the limits and the structures that are in place in this new space that I inhabit? There's a lot to learn, and there's a lot of change when you become part of a new family. And this is true for adults, too, that enter into a new marriage or a new life situation. Uh, there's a lot going on there. And John uses this analogy to discuss in spiritual terms, what does the life of a child of God look like? What does it look like to belong to God's family? So children who are adopted do not share physical resemblance, right? That's, 
that's intuitive, of the parents. But they learn to embody the character and the values and the culture of that family. And this is the way that, that John sort of writes. So I want you to imagine like in a, in a commercial airliner, you're coming down under the clouds. You can see the land coming into focus in these kind of broad brushstrokes that I mentioned at the beginning. So John sees kind of these big green patches with roads cutting through. There's blue over here. It must be a body of water. And this is sort of the way he speaks of being a child of God and these kind of big building blocks. So John would say something like this. Children of God, they practice righteousness. They don't practice sinning. Like he's just kind of giving you these big building blocks. Because they belong to God who is righteous. And who he sent Jesus to destroy sin. So they don't practice sin. Children of God hate sinning because their father is opposed to evil and injustice and all brokenness in the world. But as the, as the plane gets lower and lower and lower and you can kind of start to see the cars moving around and you pull in for the landing, uh, the, the detail comes into greater focus. And John actually kind of tips his hat to this in the letter. He says in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, We're God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared. That is still to come. So it's not quite as simple as these big building blocks, although that part is still very much true. But what John is saying is belief in Jesus, adoption into God's family, does not necessarily result in this kind of immediate transformation where sin is put over here and righteousness is over here and you make a clean break and everything's nice and rosy. Now, that's important to understand because a, a, a cursory reading of our passage, like if you were to just kind of read our passage really quickly, you might gather from it something like this. Do you want to be a child of God? Do good. Practice righteousness. If you do that, then God will have you as his child. And if you don't, you're out of the family. There's a way you could sort of read that without understanding it more carefully to think about what does it mean actually to be adopted into a family? What does it mean to become God's child, to be born of God? Well, and as we've said, an adopted child is first brought into the family. The legal paperwork has to be completed. And then once in that family system, this child begins to learn the family rhythms and the steps. So, as you know, a major motivating factor for obedience for a child is experiencing the love of the parent. A major motivation for the obedience for every child is to please their parents. I mean, kids here, don't you love it when you do something and your mother or your father are proud of you and they say, you've done a good job. I like how you did that. I like how you drew that picture. That's a beautiful thing. John says, this is what children of God should be like. They should live a life that aims to please their father in heaven. We should want to do that. And in this way, if you look back at verse 29, some of these rough edges, these big building blocks start to make sense. Where John says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So children of God are bearing the resemblance of their righteous father. Okay, so, so what do you do with all this? Some of it depends on where you are right now in your relationship with the God of the universe. I'm going to give you kind of three different applications under the second heading, uh, depending on where you are and what you're dealing with right now. So first, if you're a person who says, yes, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian, I'm all in on this stuff, but I just don't think I can surrender every aspect of my life to God and his ethical system. Like, it's just a little much. 
my vocational sphere, my relationship sphere, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money. I'm not going to give like all of this over to God. I'm, I'm in on Jesus and the stories and it's good and I like the community, but I, I just can't, I can't let him in every aspect of my life. John has this little sharp poking tool again and he's kind of, he's kind of poking at you again. And he said, friend, I think you've missed the point of it all. You cannot have the identity of a child of God without living the life of a child of God. You have a new family in Jesus. You have a new father. You belong to him. And as a child of the king, there are new expectations for you as you walk in step with your new status as a child of God. Now, John is quick to say, you're not going to be perfect. That comes later. Uh, You're not going to be perfectly righteous. That's still to come when Jesus returns and makes all things new. But until then, you make a practice of righteousness, not a practice of sinning. There should be things about your life that are different because God is your father. So this is what he's getting at in chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, like, the world did not know you because they did not know him. If you're a child of God, there should be some aspect of your life where people are scratching their heads and they're like, why do you do that? Or, or why don't you do this? This is confusing to me. Uh, if, you, if, you, um, if you live a life opposed to God's rule, which is described here as lawlessness in verse 4, this means, John would say, you, you may not be a child of God. And he says, you might have a different father altogether. Your father may be the devil. Now, you can be put off by this, or you can run into the arms of your heavenly father like a little child. What's interesting here is that it seems that John is contending with a group in the ancient early church who thought, God's great, but I don't really love all of his rules and lifestyle choices for me. Uh, I don't know that what God has to say is really applicable to me in my life. And this is something that was being uh, batted around two millennia ago. Uh, sometimes we can fool ourselves to thinking we've evolved and like we have the real questions now. Uh, we, can, we can think like people used to be totally fine with God demanding total and complete obedience to him. But now we've done some research and we've got data and we're not really cool with all that he has revealed to us. But this is not a new phenomenon. God has lots to say about our bodies, our relationships, the way we live our lives, what we do with our money. And fundamentally, John is framing, framing it in the terms of uh, the Father's heart. To be a child of God is to reflect what God loves. Do you love what God loves? Do you hate what God hates? I think John would ask you to consider that this morning if you're the type of person that's like, I'm in on Jesus, I'm in on the stories, but you've got to quit meddling with how I live. Okay, here's, the, here's the second group. If you're a person here who says, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I keep, I keep struggling. Like, if you were to look at my life, you would think, man, I can't believe they let me in here this morning. Like, I, am, I am always feel like I, I am not living up to who I'm supposed to be in Jesus. Like, I believe, but I, I struggle, and I'm wrestling with these things. I'm trying to get free. If you read this passage and you're thinking, should I question whether or not I'm a child of God? This is really important. I don't want you to mishear what John is saying. The life of a child of God is not perfect obedience. No children are perfectly obedient. John in this passage three times does condemn making a practice of sinning. If you look at verse 4, verse 8, and verse 9, 
He says, you know, you shouldn't, children of God shouldn't make it a practice of sinning in our translation. Now, what does that mean? The way I define making a practice of sinning is this. It's a hard-hearted approach that says, God as my father has nothing to say about how I live my life. Some of you uh, have seen in verse 9 this, this phrase. If you look at chapter 3, verse 9, uh, and, and wondered about this doctrine that's been written about at length called sinless perfectionism. Chapter 3, verse 9 says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, what's that saying? Is that saying that anybody who's been born of God will no longer sin? It can't be. And here's why. I mean, a couple of uh, pages before this in your, in your Bible, John says in the same letter, chapter 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. So what John is not saying is that if you know Jesus, you will no longer struggle with sin. He's not saying that you'll be perfectly obedient child and you have to really, really um, perform in order to stay in. That's not what he's saying at all. Children of God are not perfect. We will continue to struggle with sin. But here's the key phrase. We do not make a practice of sinning. We believe that having God as our father impacts the way we struggle with sin. Instead of making a practice of sinning, we make a practice of repentance. We turn from the sin and we run to God our father. Seeing God this way uh, helps us reorient our relationship with the sin in our lives. Uh, Jesus spoke about this when he said in Luke chapter 15, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people. So God does not cast you off because of your struggle with sin. He embraces you as you struggle with sin. And there's joy in heaven as you turn from it and turn to your father. So to be clear, to struggle with sin, if you're here this morning and you're struggling and you're asking God for healing, you're saying, I'm trying to get free from this. If you're looking to Jesus with hope, that is something entirely different than what John says when he says making a practice of sin. All children of God struggle with sin. As David mentioned before, we are all in process here. But no children of God, according to the Apostle John, should make a practice of sin. Okay, third group of people. The life of a child of God is not an isolated life. Okay? If you're a child of God, it doesn't just give you a new father, but it gives you a new family. Right? You have new brothers. You have new sisters. John is not writing a letter to individual Christians. Loving your brothers and sisters, doing good, practicing righteousness, these are some of the things that mark the life of a child of God. In verse 10, it is something you live out in a new family. John says this, you are not a child of God if you do not love your brother and sister. You see, because God is sacrificial and patient, we as his children are called to be sacrificial and patient. Because God cares for justice, we advocate for justice for our brothers and for our sisters. So it's not just don't do the sin stuff. It's practice righteousness. And we do this in the context of a new family relationship. In the church, we have an opportunity to love one another. And if this is no part of your life, then John says, you may not have God as your father. Because you're not living as part of the family. Because remember, what he wants you to do is to confirm your identity as a a child of God 
so that you can live out your life as a child of God. And the fundamental question here is, do you bear the family resemblance? Remember, in natural families, this could look like red hair or dark eyes or a crooked nose or whatever it is. But in an adopted family, it's not like that. And in a spiritual family, we reflect the character of God our Father. His righteousness, his love, his peace. So you can ask yourself this morning, does your life reflect the heart and values of your Father in heaven? Okay, so we've looked at the identity of God. We've looked at the, life of a ch- the identity of a child of God, the life of a child of God. Here's the third and final one, the security of a child of God. It's not clear yet this morning. I'm really wanting you to embrace your status as a child of God because it's one of great comfort and security and hope to you. It's amazing that in the gospel, we are not relegated to being simply servants of God, but by God's grace, we are adopted into his family as children of God. The difference between the two, a servant and a child, is staggering. Both are part of the family system, both are part of domestic responsibilities, both are in proximity to the parents, but the difference between a servant and a child is everything. So I want to boomerang back to the very beginning of our passage as we consider this last point. Chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. To know Jesus as your Savior is to have God as your Father And that's a guarantee that when the world runs its course, when you breathe your last breath, the words of the Father will not be to you, I'm so disappointed in you. Now, those are some of the most crushing words any parent can give to his child. I'm so disappointed in you. Now, maybe you've heard these words a long, long time ago and still remember them. Maybe you've heard these words recently and it still stings. Maybe you've given these words and you're not really sure what to do next after dealing such a significant blow. And of course, these words of disappointment and shame are not just relegated to the family system, but they spill over into our careers. I wonder what my boss thinks of me. Is he proud of my work? Is she disappointed with the way I'm performing? Will she give me the promotion? We feel it in school. Do they think I'm smart enough? Do they think I'm fun enough? Do they think I'm cool enough? Am I part of the group? We feel this feeling in in any place where we long to be secure in our relationship. A lot of people actually hate the idea of religion because they don't want to consider the idea that God may be disappointed in them. It's too much to bear. What if God's disappointed in the choices I've made? the life I've lived, my behavior. And this is what's so amazing about the gospel. John is setting the record straight once and for all about the heart of the Christian gospel. At the heart of the Christian gospel is a father who is perfect, who loves his children who are not. And this is the source of our security. Because our our natural default tendency is to bring the same fear and the same shame that we have in other areas of our lives and import them into our relationship with God. And so we we wonder about God. How, How do I know that I'm enough, God? How do I know I've done enough? 
How do I know I've met the standard or the threshold? And this is a devastating way to live your life before God. And what I want you to see is that this is servant talk. This is not child talk. Children are not supposed to be afraid that their parents' love for them is conditional. And this is the reason John wants to confirm your status as a child of God. So you don't have to live this way. No more. John wants us to know the peace and the security we can have in knowing God as our Heavenly Father. And from this place of security comes tremendous hope. If you're in need of hope this morning, this gives us great hope that we can change and we can grow because we have a new family and God is our Father and we are going to put off these practices of sin and put on these practices of righteousness. We can have great hope that even when we struggle and fail and have bad days or bad weeks or bad years, that the door is still open, that the Father's arms are, are open wide. So in, in, to close this morning, I want to emphasize two words. Believe it. Believe it. If you are here and you're not yet a Christian this morning, in the gospel of Jesus, you have access to the God of the universe in a way that transforms your life now and your life to come forever. Believe it. If you identify as a Christian this morning, but your life doesn't match what you claim to believe, don't fool yourself anymore. Believe it. Believe that the Father's love actually propels you forward to live as he has called you to live. If you're unwilling to live a life like like a child of God, you might need to consider this morning, maybe I'm not a part of the family. Something is off. Believe it. Those of you this morning who trust in Jesus, coming into this church on Sunday morning, weary and in need of rest, Believe it. Remember again that you are a beloved child of God. And this is not something that every human being can say. By faith in Jesus, you have been born of God. You are not a servant, but a son or a daughter. You are delighted over, sung over, rejoiced over. You are absolutely beloved. Believe it. Because being a child of God changes everything. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the God who made all things, holds all things together, but you did not stand at a distance. You entered in in Jesus, reconciled a wayward people, and brought us into your family. I pray, Lord, that um, those of us here that do not feel or know the love of God as their Father can know that in a fresh and a new way today. I pray for those of us who struggle to believe that God is our Father and struggle to walk in the steps of obedience to him. Uh, I pray that you'll meet us there. I pray that your spirit will come and you'll change our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.